Hey everybody, before we get started with episode 12 of Following the Fire, I wanted to remind you that episode 15, which will be released on June 2nd, will be our next book club episode, and this time we will be reading the book Why We Can't Wait by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Head on over to our website, followingthefire.com, for more details. And I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're doing our best to, to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Don't you know it's all I have? Today, we're going to talk about science and religion. Big, big topics that have really influenced my, my faith my whole life. And studies are showing that young Christians all over face this, this tension. But is there really a conflict? Do we have to make a choice? Or can there be a harmony when these two ways of looking at the world line up and agree with each other? Here we go. Screaming. I have a I have a story. Uh, it's an analogy. I just don't know what it's an analogy for yet. Okay. So I have a fitness watch. Um, and it's very useful and tells me things like the time, but also my heart rate, how many steps I've gone, and then it tracks my sleep quality. Okay. And about. Three months ago, the screen broke, and about two days ago, I was taking a walk, and I took a look at my watch, like I do 30 times a day, Yeah, and it that's when it hit me that I've been wearing uh, a watch with absolutely no display, like it does not tell me the time, it does not... You uh, put it on by habit, or... Yeah, and so uh, I was like, well, this is ridiculous. So I took it off and the first, you know, profound discovery I had was I had this like scar tissue, uh, you know, from where the watch was and it was like, uh, irritated and red. And so I, I put the watch on the counter and then about two hours later I, I was doing something I, and I mindlessly, I walked by the counter, I grabbed the watch and I put it on. Put it on. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> oh. I, um, and it, the, the watch had lost its watchiness and it should have been trampled by men. But I, yeah, there's, it's, there's an analogy in there somewhere. As my mom would say, there's a sermon in that. There's a, there's a sermon in that. I feel like that'd be a good preacher story. It should, it should be a book. There's a sermon in that. Just a bunch <laughs> of random analogies that, oh, sounds like something that you'd write. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are resources that are pre like, just short preacher stories. Surely. Yeah. Well, one thing that I was kind of surprised of when I, when I started doing like my university studies for being a preacher, missionary, whatever, is how many books there are out there with like sermon outlines, and or like full text of sermons that you just. Here, have have an outline and, and preach it. 
Oh wow, yeah, there's a ton. I I think it's been I've been given a few, but that's that's never, inter- never used them. That's interesting because I never would have thought of that. But I'm sure there's a whole um, spectrum of people who are like yeah, like you know like yeah because there there's liturgical practices that you kind of know what you're going to be reading that time of year or or kind of here's here's what this is going to be. Is that cheating? Is or is it useful? I, I, I kind of felt like it's cheating. Because <laughs> after two thousand years, I I feel like sometimes it'd be like maybe stop making new stuff up. You know, <laughs> we've we've this is a good one. If if you're here, this is a good one. But yeah, it, it does seem it's, it's, there's something wrong about that. It just feels wrong. Yeah. Well, I have a question for you to start things out. All right. What is your favorite kind of science? Oh, favorite kind of science. Give me a second. Because the first answer I thought of, I think, was a wrong answer. And it's pretty hard to give a wrong answer to a what no, is wrong your wrong answer. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> um, my favorite kind of science. Well, okay. You asked me a question that I, I think I have like five or six. I there's lots of certain kinds of things I like and I, and they're all swimming around in my head. I can't pick one, but I am someone who something very unique about me compared to most Americans out there is I really love wastewater. Yeah. That's, that's, that's unique. (laughs) Wastewater. Uh, and it just gets me excited. I think it's, uh, I talk about it way too much in social settings and that's how I found out that other people don't, (laughs) they're not as passionate about wastewater as I am and, and, and it's wastewater treatment. And so wastewater treatment is this combination of, uh, mechanical things like mechanical engineering and civil engineering where you're, you've got pumps and you're moving water and pressures and, and that kind of thing. Um, but it's also very biological and Mm -hmm. you are, uh, growing, uh, bacteria in, and setting the perfect biological conditions for those things to speed up the natural process, you know, way faster so that at the end, somehow out of this miraculous thing, we get clean water. So I guess I'll yeah, say it, it is, it's kind of gross on the, on the outset, but it's, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's like endlessly fascinating. It's uh, you can be creative in it. It's uh, <laughs> there's like all kinds of cool, Cool stuff going on at wastewater treatment plants. You can make energy out of it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. You can at the end you can you have clean water that comes out. You have fertilizer that's not made out of what you think it's made out of. Um, <laughs> and you, it's uh, it doesn't even smell that bad. But um, that bad. And I, I was going to say etymology, but I don't think that's a, is etymology a science because I really I like that so. kind. I like the. It's more like it's closer to history, you know. Yeah. Like, um yeah. Yeah, I think right now my favorite kind of science is immunology. <laughs> <laughs> no. Why? Just because I have I finally gotten fully vaccinated. And so I am appreciating that a lot. Anyway, so back in episode 8 we talked about deconstructing deconstruction and uh if you remember the first couple markers of the deconstructing Christian are number one, someone who has questions 
that their faith tradition finds it unable to answer. And they now, and number two, they now feel the need to change some of their beliefs. And this often, but not always, conflicts with the church group that they were a part of. It's like the first couple markers of somebody's deconstructing. The process of, uh, process of deconstruction and rethinking your faith is tough, as we talked about, and there are struggles, and you're going to bump up against things that are uncomfortable to you. And, and I mean, struggles are part of the process. It's how you grow. And I'm reminded of that, the story, I don't know how real this is or not, of like the guy with his grandson and like the the, the butterflies like inside the, the cocoon. It's like trying to get out. And and the, the grandson's like, well, why don't you just cut cut open the the cocoon and let, it, let him out? And he's like, struggle makes him stronger, you know. Right. If if I cut it out, he'd be too weak. He wouldn't develop those muscles to. Right. Right. I, right. I feel like I've heard that. And then, and then the sad version of the story, the grandpa does cut it open. It shows like, you got this pitiful dying <laughs> <laughs> butterfly. I'm like, uh, don't do that. But anyway, I mean, struggles are very good. They help you grow. They help you learn. And the questions that we ask and can't get answers for, I mean, they can be all over the board, all of different kinds of questions. Like, Maybe why does God allow such evil in the world? Or why would God torture people in hell forever if he loved them? Or maybe it's related to like LGBTQ stuff. Or maybe the question is, why is Tucker Carlson still allowed on TV? Right. And no one knows. But um, one huge area of questioning is the conflict between science and faith in general. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Because... When it comes to the topic, that topic of science and faith, science in the Bible, however, however you want to phrase it, it's something that I struggled with a lot um, to get to the place I am today. I mean, looking over my bookshelf, I have, I've got lots of books about science and God, and um, some of them, honestly, are just really discount science. Some of them discount God. But most everything that I've come across in this sphere is just really emphasizes the conflict. Why, why do you, Nathan, uh, a wise one, why do you think there is this conflict? Ah, uh, yeah. I, I think the partially there's a conflict because of where people start on their journeys. So, um, I have hmm. atheist friends, um, that I went to high school with or, um, whatever that they, they start at a certain place. Mm -hmm. Um, but as a, as a, uh, kid who grew up in a Christian home going to Sunday school, my starting place was different than theirs and included, mm -hmm. um, so just th that had nothing to do with how much we knew or didn't know, but our tribe, um, taught us some things about how the world works. And so I think the first time you encounter something that is um, that either conflicts with that or or is one of those first struggles. I think you've already been taught who you are and who your tribe is, and so it yeah. connects to your uh, identity. I think we tie. Here's the short answer. I think we tie our our identities closely to our understandings of the universe and, you know, hmm. 
That's interesting. I never thought about the identity aspect of it, but it seems like just about everything ties back to what you see yourself as. Yeah, I, I feel like identities. Well, identity is at least a pillar of it because I think I think I could have answered why is there does there seem to be that perceived conflict between faith and science? I feel like there's a lot of answers to that. Yeah. Some of it has to do with, uh, are they both overlapping and trying to answer the same question sometimes? Who are we? Where did we come from? Um, where are we going? What is the purpose? I think your science is answering a question that you had already answered for yourself with something else. Yeah. That's going to create that conflict as well. I think there are a lot, a, a lot, a lot of reasons. Yeah, and the the frustrating thing to me is, and I'm glad you said perceived conflict. Um, you probably kind of know where I'm going with this, but it's frustrating to me how that narrative is just kind of a given for so many people. It's a given for not only not only for scientists or and and or atheists who are not scientists, but it's it seems to be a given for a lot of Christians as well. Yeah, and when it comes to the struggles of deconstructing i i want people to go through those struggles but i don't I, I want to this is one of those areas that i think maybe we can help people to not have to go so far as to give up the idea of god completely not that i've got all the answers but uh having struggled myself a lot through this i, I think that you know, spoiler alert, there is no conflict. <laughs> I'll get to why. Um, but I've, I've seen, I've personally known quite a few people and I've, and I've seen on the edges of people who have started out with their rethinking of their faith or their, like you said, kind of their identity because they were in a science class, for example. Right. And like you mentioned your grandfather, the geologist, who was frustrated by the fact that science was teaching something different than a lot of Christians were teaching. And so pe people are in classes like a geology class or whatever. And they learn about like billions of years old magma or whatever. And they then they're told by their youth pastor or whoever that the earth is 6,000 years old. Yeah. So now they have to choose. So that that's the right. the conflict now is, well, it's either faith or science because faith has this answer and science has this answer. Yeah. And so, so many false dichotomies are set up by both sides that it's gotten to the point where it's, like I said, it's just a given for people. Like, it, and it's, people are shocked sometimes to hear that what you can be a Christian and a geneticist, you know? Right. I, I, I feel like, um, because when my journey involved a weird detour for about one or two years, uh, where let's say this, uh, the battle between faith and science was not something that I was concerned about because as a Christian, mm -hmm. I was a truth seeker. Like, I mean, that's, I feel like that's, integral to Jewish and Christian belief is seeking after what is truth and, and 
and valuing truth as as very highly. Yeah. Um, and seeking after that and knowing that, you know, I don't know, from Romans, that even the qualities of God can be known from um, from what has been made. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, I was on the side of truth, but my detour was a, I was in a class and suddenly I had a teacher who was a, an atheist who was just mocking Christians and she was, she was also mock, she was mocking many things about Christianity, you know, the Puritanism and uh, hypocrisy, but also belief in, in the Bible literally and in, in a, in a Genesis one in a literal way. And, and so I responded to that not as a logical attack, but as a as an a, a tribal confrontation. Hmm. So, and I think many, and so I wrote you know ten page paper papers. I think I've mentioned this before, using sources like Answers in Genesis, yeah, where I was arguing uh, with uh, my logic and with with a desire for truth. Uh, you know, tr- trying to fight for my tribe. Um, and I think, I think there are a lot of people that's kind of the identity thing. So the, um, I feel like it's, I, I, so the, did you ever remember learning? Like, I I don't even know if there's names for them, like the three Greek uh, types of, um, logic or, uh, rhetoric. Remind me. So, um, there's ethos, logos, and pathos. Right, right. Yeah, okay. So ethos uh, is an appeal to authority, basically. Mm-hmm. So if you, so for example, an appeal to authority is the scientific consensus is this. You're, you're asking someone to trust your source. Another appeal to authority is, hey, I've been there. I, I've, I've gone through that struggle. And and trust me, here's some advice. That that's also ethos. It's it's like buying into the authority of your source. Right. Um, there's logos, which is just like practically math. It's logic. It's uh, you don't have to be any any authority, but you can say A plus B equals C. Logic some, you know, logically stepping someone through a sequence of uh, true statements. Mm-hmm. That's kind of logos, uh, but then there's pathos, which is just that emotional r- rhetoric. But it includes uh, your upbringing and your citizenship and your all the things that go into persuading someone that have nothing to do with logic and have nothing to do with authority, yeah. but have everything to do with identity or 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 how something makes you feel. Um. And so I, I was launched into a kind of that crazy detour. Um, I wasn't following ethos or logos. I, I had someone pushed on my pathos, pathos, Mm. and I just pushed back. I I didn't, I was like, well, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight that, you know? Interesting. So, so I've, I I think I want to see where you're going, but I think there are ethos and logos and pathos answers um, to where people are in that, um, you know, we called it the perceived conflict between faith and science. But when it's a pathos problem, 
it's a real conflict in your, it's a real, it, I mean, you feel it, it's a real conflict. Um, and so kind of untangling, uh, what is at root there? I, I feel like it was an important step for me and maybe it, it would help to, uh, I feel like faith and science are both words that, um, mean so many things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, faith uh, as Christians, I think sometimes we put faith and knowledge on a continuum. Mm. Uh, like the more knowledge you have, the less faith you need or, um, right. Or, or, you know, you have faith, so you don't need to know all the answers cause you have faith, but, but I, I don't believe that's biblical. First of all, I, you know, faith isn't about just trusting things and, and therefore not learning things or not needing to know things. It's almost the opposite. It's, hmm. It's some things we can't know, or, you know, it's a, a trust, um, but it, but you can have lots of knowledge and lots of faith, uh, including lots of scientific knowledge and lots of faith, or you can have a little bit of faith and a little bit of knowledge or, or vice versa. They're, they're not, um, you know, f- faith isn't a thing that makes up for knowledge or fills gaps of science or anything like that. Yeah, and it's interesting that you, the distinction you're you're making with the pathos, ethos, and logos thing, because as we as we tend to do as humans, we when we discuss a thing, or at least me, <laughs> when I discuss a thing, I tend to default to the logos, and I think, okay, if I if I reason this out with somebody enough, and if I show them all of the 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 source material or whatever, they're going to realize that they're wrong or that there is no conflict or whatever it is. And, and then everything will be great. But I, I often discount the importance of that pathos part. Yeah. Cause and it's, I was going to say what happened to me was I had a teacher who hit me with logos when I wasn't asking the right question to have that logos because mm. she, uh, she it was an English teacher. She wasn't there to teach us, you know, science. She she just had a you know a chip on her shoulder about <laughs> fun, fundamentalist Christians. Uh, but yeah. I I took that as instead of processing the information in a logical way as logos or ethos, it actually made me do the opposite. So sometimes, mm. mm-hmm. if you give someone the information, especially in this topic, and even now, I think it's much worse now just this year uh there are a lot of people who are using words that make it sound like they're saying logos things yeah and that they need some ethos which is like well here's what the scientific consensus is but they are they came to their place and it uh via pathos yeah and they're and if you throw ethos or logos at them they're gonna barricade themselves up more because uh you know that 
wasn't the that wasn't the point. And path and pathos is not worse than logos or ethos. They are, you know, different. Yeah, they're just different ways of thinking and processing information. Yeah, and on this topic specifically, I, I I was shocked. You know, I was shocked to find out how many people have these kinds of like this belief of the the separation between faith and science as 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 a core part of their identity. Oh yeah, and it and the the way they talk about it is also as if they are. Uh, I mean, they're uh, mutually exclusive. Um, mm-hmm. That it's just assumed that they're in conflict, but they're also spoken about almost like capital R religion and capital S science. Like, yeah, science and the dogma of science it has all these stances and beliefs about the world. Religion and has all these dogmas and beliefs about the world, and. It's almost, it reminds me of um, Nacho Libre. Have you, have you ever? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> just to bring the conversation down a, a notch, uh, uh, <laughs> Nacho Libre, I, of which I'm a huge fan, ma- makes fun of this because uh, Nacho is a monk, a priest, but who doesn't, you know, he doesn't know anything. Uh, yeah. he's, he's a well-meaning and he he does say, and they don't think I know a buttload of crap about the gospel, but I do. Okay. So you know he <laughs> he's trying to prove how religious he is, but his friend, who is equally dumb, um, what he a- always tells him is, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Yeah. Right? Oh, so the, I forgot that. Yeah. So that that comes up over and over, and they're kind of making fun of the fact that. They're like both totally bought into this, but they also are, you know, don't, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just defending their tribe to each other um, mm. as if science is a thing, a monolith or a way of uh, a dogma, a dogma or a belief structure, which right. is not, you know, and, uh, and faith. They're, they're putting them on the same continuum on the same spectrum, but faith and science do not exist on that spectrum but maybe capital science in the way that we use it sometimes, sometimes that does. Yeah. And it, it, that's exactly right. And it, it's, it's to the point that it's even kind of becoming like one way to view science or versus the Bible or whatever. It's like almost becoming a litmus test for Christianity. Um, <clears throat> for some people like, uh, Ken Ham, for example, yeah. um, he, he said, Christians should take a stand on six literal days, a young earth and global flood, even if it causes division. I'm like, whoa. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That's pretty serious stuff right man, there. And man, so the first thing I thought of was like, he must have not read the same books that I have because he needs some of the logos that I've got. But then that it's clear the end of that statement is pure pathos. Absolutely. Like, it's us versus them. We're losing. And so even if it causes not, he's not talking about division uh, with the world in that statement. No, he's talking about division in, in the church that it's, it's not only worth that we cement ourselves into this specific stance um, against the world, but also against other believers. Right. And I, if if I may read between the lines a bit, it sounds like what he's saying is 
anybody who take who disagrees with me on these things, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to associate with you. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I, and I feel, I feel like we've seen that more, or I don't know, maybe my eyes are open to it, or or maybe not. But the this year, it's a, it's a a year into coronavirus restrictions that struck at the heart of that uh, you know ended up being political in some ways and because they were political in some ways ended up uh, speaking to tribal identity, who we are as yeah. Americans and, 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 and we're really holding on to that. And so science has become uh, to, to be guilty of both sidesism and also gross oversimplification. I've seen science occasionally used as a maybe virtual signal uh, for maybe a progressive yeah. Um, it can be used to, to feel better than people or more informed or something. Um, and then on the fundamentalist right side, uh, science is, is almost used as a derogative, uh, you know, as a, as, as evil or as the enemy. Yeah. As a yeah. The opposite of a virtue signal, whatever that is kind of like socialism. Absolutely. So you yeah. can't talk about it when it's, when it uh, takes up that place in your in your worldview, it's like if we were trying to convince people that Satan was actually good. Yeah, and like another Ken Ham quote, um, we can't always trust what we see in museums, but we can certainly always always trust what we what we read in the Bible. Ah, um, that that speaks exactly to the the faith and knowledge continuum thing. Mm-hmm. So the. Like the, what's the Bible answer for what is faith? Faith is, I just put you on the spot. <laughs> so it, oh, it, oh it's, it, Hebrews 11, I'm spacing it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, sorry, sorry. I've done that. You, you start the episode with asking me a question that I get a ponder <laughs> and give, and I, I give you one that there's only one right answer to, uh, that I want. I mean, there's more answers. So <laughs> sorry, I, I do that a lot. Um. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Yeah. Confidence in what we hope for. Right. Okay. And uh, assurance about what we don't see. Yeah. What Ken Ham turned faith into is assurance that what we do see is not what we see. Right. Right. He he did. he, He inverted the statement and it's not a the inverse of that statement is not true. So being confidence in what we do not see or assurance in what we do not see and and confidence in our hope and that anchor that we have, right? That is not the same as, well, if I see dinosaurs in Dinosaur National Park, I should not believe my eyes. I should I should have faith and ignore what I see. That's it's just a um Yeah. Yeah, and it you're you're kind of getting into a, an area that I, I'm happy to get into, but I wasn't, wasn't planning on getting into really, but it's the, it's like, where does this lead? Where's this idea that the, that the, the two are inherently separate and that the, it's binary, one or the other, you know, that this, it, it leads to like anti-vaxxing stuff like we're dealing with now with the COVID vaccine. It deal, it, it leads to, um, not believing science at all. Like you said, it's, it's like a pejorative term for some people. 
I mean, this, this kind of attitude comes, it's not, I mean, I'm ripping on Ken Ham, but, um, and his answers in Genesis stuff has a lot of problems, but there's, it's, it comes from the other side too. I mean, I, there's a good quote from Steven Weinberg, who's a theoretical physicist and uh, he has got the, got the Nobel prize. He said, the world needs to wake up from the long nightmare of religion. Anything we scientists can do to weaken the hold of religion should be done and may in fact be our greatest contribution to civilization. I mean, that's huge. That's yeah. <laughs> and, and so that, that exact statement is definitely half of the problem because the I'm defining science as the, that scary monolith that is against us. That's that hates us. He just made that true. Yeah. In, with that, with that statement. Right. So that statement reinforces this belief that, in what science is as this, uh, you know, let's ask the priest and then let's ask the doctor, I guess. Uh, yeah. um, but when we say that there's not a conflict between faith and science, we obviously know that there is a conflict between uh, these two pathos grounded uh, tribes we've been talking about, because that was also a, a, a pathos statement of uh, we, as this, I guess, tribe of knowledgeable um, materialists, uh, need to stamp out this danger of the them, the fundamentalist um, religion people, right? It's not a uh, ethos or a logos. It's a it, They're both stuck in pathos. So there's a conflict between that, for sure. Right. But faith, the biblical definition of faith, uh, or religion, or or a relationship with God, or even a, in my opinion, a belief in the the literal word of God and understanding its intent. That's faith for me. And then, what that doesn't conflict with is science, science being a a method and a field of study that is interested in a specific thing. It's interested in the material world, the observable and repeatable world. It's not that it has chosen to believe that there's only material. It's that it's a, a a pair of binoculars that is limited to looking at a specific kind of thing. Right. An infrared camera looks at infrared light. Science looks at the material world. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then it's not a monolith. It's a process and a community. And so when we say things like uh, the scientific consensus is this, it's not the same thing as the Pope has decreed X and Y to be true. What we're saying is if if you drew a bell curve and there were a bunch of dots, there'd be some outlier people who used the scientific method and came to this data and this result or said this statement or this statement. But uh, when we say there's a scientific consensus around something, we th- we're saying that the middle of that bell curve is very high and there's a lot of people uh, who uh, all followed the the scientific method and came up with a conclusion and that agreed with each other. And that's how science works. But yeah, that science with a little s, it's, yeah, we come up with a study, I'm going to publish it in a peer-reviewed uh, whatever journal, and then that now I, me as the, competing university, I'm going to try to disprove it for a while, or I'm going to take that and do my own test and learn something new and publish that. And so 
it's a mistake to say science uh, believes this or that often because it's not the Pope making an edict. It's, it's people who are pursuing uh, this method and coming up with results. And then after time, the results get proven and proven and proven and proven uh, or, or debated or adjusted. And then you get results out. Yeah, and, and kind of digging into that a little bit, I think that the the conflict, or the apparent conflict, it, it comes down to, in my mind, two things. That it's not a conflict between science and faith. It's a conflict between materialism and theism. And the second thing is that it that it it's based upon the misunderstanding of the nature of God and, and science, which is kind of what you were getting into. Um, because w- when we say like science, what is really being referred to usually is is, is a materialism. It's just, it's this idea that stuff and things are all that exists. Sure. Um, the ultimate reality can be boiled down to chemistry and physics in one way or another, and the universe explains itself from the bottom up. Like you get the atoms and you can figure everything out, and the universe gives no evidence of God. So it's just purely material stuff. Yeah, so that's like a belief that you have developed. That's that's not what science is. That's a belief that you have developed that science is all there is. Right, which is scientism. Scienti- <laughs> exactly, yeah. Which okay. which is a, a kind of a, a, philo- a philosophical stance of science is all there is. Everything can be explained by science. Anything that cannot be explained by science does not exist or is not worth talking about. Right. And, you know, theism is just basically that, that there's something beyond the physical. There's something beyond the stuff that maybe God, whatever. Um, <clears throat> and, and scientists don't even seem to know the difference between the two because scientists are always like weighing in like Stephen Hawking, religion's a fairy story for those afraid of the dark. I mean, that's not a statement of science. Right. That's a statement of his own faith. Right. And we read things like that by most famous scientists in the planet. And we think, oh, that's a scientific uh, conclusion that he's drawn. But um, which gets into the difference between the misunderstandings of what God is and what, what science is. And the I think... Christians are just as guilty of this misunderstanding of what God is um, or the nature of God as, as non-Christians. And, um, well, it's, it's almost like we are, I, I don't know who started it, but, but we are lowering ourselves to the rules of a debate that is just the wrong debate. Just like, yeah. you know, I did with my teacher, you know, if, if we feel like we have to defend something like, uh, a scientist who is doing real science, but then makes a statement of belief that makes us react as, as faith people and want to, uh, whatever that was, he said, we're against what he results. He came up with also. Right. I, I think that's a, 
that's what happened in in my story and then you're there's a fear that um accepting let's say some of the scientific consensus things is just a step towards rejecting that there's a god or or rejecting you know believing science scientific results or scientific consensus is going to lead you to become a scientismist <laughs> that's good scientismist yeah because i mean because like like you were saying earlier that science and and religion they address two different things completely and if you're going to ask about if you're going to say that god's anti-science and anti-reason which most people that you hear like on on the the interwebs or whatever if you say is 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 god anti-science and anti-reason oh yeah absolutely but then you have to say well what kind of god are you talking about and it's usually it comes down to this this term the god of the gaps yeah and which basically means if i can if i can't explain the thing that i'm seeing or the the phenomena or whatever then god must have done it miraculously uh, which means yeah the the inverse of that then is the more things you explain now god is getting smaller yeah the less you need god yeah which which is a it's a bad place to be <laughs> um it, you know it's a, it's a bad place to be for for a person who's trying to maintain a faith in god for one but honestly it's a bad place for science to be i mean if science is can, can if scientists think that they can deal with metaphysical things they're they're wildly mistaken yeah and it it's you know it's again you're you're accepting the false premise um because science is is a pair of glasses that looks at matter that's all that it does mm -hmm. um so it's kind of like saying if a biologist explained to you exactly what is happening during childbirth that now now you know everything that happens and so there's no wonder, you know, everything that, you know, exactly the mechanisms and the biology behind it, but it's still a miracle. Yeah. Or now I know what the stars are made out of. They, I still lose my breath. They take my breath away when I look at them. Yeah. There's a great, there's a great quote from Wittgenstein. He said, the great delusion of modernity is that the laws of nature explain the universe for us. The laws of nature describe the universe, right. they describe the regularities, but they explain nothing. Yeah, it's 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 it, that's the the exact difference. It's science is describing something, um, which d does not take away from from what your belief is, what's behind the universe, and the purpose of of it all. It's like looking at a Picasso and and doing chemical analysis on the paint, like that. It yeah. doesn't. It doesn't. The fact that it's made out of this and it was and these brush strokes and that it dried in this way is true and it yeah. could be useful, uh, but it that doesn't change anything about uh, the art or the Picasso, right? It's just describing here's his method or here's who what Picasso right. was like, right? Okay, so John Lennox has a really good book that I recommend to anybody. It's called God's Undertaker Has Science Buried God? Question mark. Um, it, it's fantastic. I, I love John Lennox's stuff. And there are a couple 
uh, videos I'll, I might link to in the show notes. Um, unfortunately, they're with Eric Metaxas. As he's kind of interviewing John Lennox and Eric Metaxas. Has <laughs> what year was it? End. What year was it when the interview <laughs> happened? Like four or five years ago. So his, that was, he's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it was, it was back when John, when uh, Eric Metaxas was actually Eric Metaxas. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Can we still recommend Bonhoeffer? It was <laughs> so good when I read it. Is it still good? I don't know. I don't know. Eric, I'm sad. If you're listening, come back. <laughs> Come back, Eric. Right. We miss you. Anyways, this in, in this book, one of the, the fantastic examples that he uses is say there's a you walk into a room and there's a metal pot with water in it on the on the stove with a flame below it and it's boiling. And and I say to you, Hey Nathan, why is the kettle boiling? And you go, well, there's metal pot that the flame blow it and the heat transfer of the flame, exciting molecules, the water, and all this stuff. And and I say, no, that that's not why the kettle is boiling. It's boiling because I want some tea. <laughs> so that's that's the difference between science and and purpose. Because like you're saying, science cannot describe purpose. It cannot determine purpose. Like the whole teleological uh, world is is not something science can touch. It can describe what, like how the tea is, the water is boiling, but it doesn't have anything to say about why the tea is boiling, the water is boiling. And that's where the two cannot really, they, they, they don't cross the bounds of each other's worlds in that way. Just like, I think religion is not something that is not in place and, and our faith in God is not there to describe tectonic plates or the how gen- genetics works and mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, all that stuff. Right. I, I think that's a thing that we run into. So when when you're using science wrong, we call that scientism. You're using it to come up with a meta narrative, a dogma or a belief system about who you are in the universe or what's moral and what's not moral right? that science cannot answer and, and is not in the business of answering. Uh, it's just not what it is. You run into the same trouble. Uh, I've mentioned if you, if you think that the Bible is a order of worship document, then you're going to look, f- you're going to come up with rules, but it's since it was not intended to be that uh, you're, you're approaching it wrong. And if you approach the Bible trying to answer the questions that science is interested in, uh, specifically if, if you open it and you think you're reading a science textbook, um, you are you are using Bible. Now that's Bibleism. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're using the Bible wrong because um, that's not what, you know, Psalms is there for. Psalms is not there to tell you... Uh, whether the theory of relativity is true or not. Psalms is there to help you express your grief or your joy or to, to understand more about God. Right. Yeah. And, and this kind of gets to a, like a kind of a pet peeve of mine that has become a pet peeve of mine with uh, Christian apologetics largely is this, so much of Christian apologetics, at least in recent past, has been built upon this God of the gaps problem where they, where they assume that a natural thing is there to teach us a spiritual lesson about, or a spiritual reality, I should say, about God. 
best example I could think of was like the monarch butterfly migration. It goes from North America all the way down to from Canada all the way down to Mexico, multiple generations, and they would end up in the same place. Scientists can't figure it out. And growing up, that was always given as proof that, oh, it, God is guiding them along the way. And scientists are getting closer. They think they might know why, how it works. They still don't know. But as soon as you start saying that it's proof, then in 50 years or whenever it happens, when someone does figure it out, then like, does that mean God's not necessary? And does that mean everything that you've believed is, is fake? And I think that's one of the concerns that I have is that people who are going through this deconstruction process have a lot of their faith or their concept of science and, and science and God mixed up in this idea of the God of the gaps, that God is just there to fill in the gaps, and this idea that there has to be a separation between the two and and they, I don't, I don't, I'm afraid that they're going to find themselves being, feeling like they have to make that choice between the two. Yeah. And it, it's a, I know I've heard you say this before, but the, um, it's a reason that people leave their faith. And it, it's a reason a lot of young people leave their faith because they go from a yeah. community where they were taught lots of things, but maybe they felt some problems or they felt some cracks or maybe they didn't, but they go to college or they, move towns and they, uh, or they get cancer or they take some new medicine or something. Right. And they confront, uh, uh, evolution or they confront, uh, geology or, or some science that they believe, you know, that they, they, they're working towards their degree in something. And they, like, they accept that as true that, that they're being told. And then they realize that means they have to shed that mean they thought it was a conflict and they have just been given something that is completely true to them. So they think that they have to get rid of the old, you know, which means their faith. I feel like my journey is helpful. So I, I had that weird detour in high school, but I went to a Christian college and my Christian college is where I learned the beauty of the harmony and sometimes overlap, but, um, in my opinion, always uh, uh, unity in the the pursuit of truth, whether it's um, in the Bible or in science, and they're they're answering different questions. But I I got to go on this awesome journey, um, and the re you know I I read um, I mean I read uh, Nietzsche, but with a mm-hmm. with a in a Christian college with a Bible professor guiding us through this and. A uh, great uh, article by Isaac Asimov called "The Relativity of Wrong," um, mm. which is about how okay, you know, science has gotten this thing wrong or changed their mind on this or something. But there's a difference between um, being almost right uh, or getting uh, lots of things right, and then something wrong, and then changing it and just throwing out the whole system, you know. It, so uh, the example is about the uh, well, just read the art, the relativity of wrong. It's really good, but a little snarky. I think Isaac Asimov <laughs> um, probably is a scientist, but also a scientismist. But we read we read uh, Thomas Kuhn, the structure of scientific revolutions. I think, hmm. um, which again talks about like how does science work and 
And when changes happen, what does that um, look like? And he introduces the idea of the paradigm shift. And, and through all of that, the reason I was open to that logos is because I was in a safe place being taught by people in my tribe that, uh, that had ethos because they were, I, I knew who they were morally and as, and as Christians and I knew they were smart. And so, um, I didn't have the reaction. It's us versus them. Right. I have to choose. And so I, I, then I got to explore things like Ray Bradbury. He's not mm-hmm. a scientist or, you know, I don't know what, what he believes, but he writes interesting thoughts about Jesus visiting another planet in a short story. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or he just gets to have fun with, with some, some of the inner, you know, putting a little bit of science and a little bit of fiction and a little bit of religion together or C.S. Lewis in Paralandra, mm-hmm. uh, where he talks about in a fictional story, he talks about evolution and God's part in that. And, uh, and he kind of recreates a Genesis one scene, but on a different planet. Yeah. And I think, uh, post postmodernism, some French guy, he was like Jean something, something, <laughs> uh, described postmodernism as incredulity toward meta narrative, and <laughs> incredulity toward meta narrative means you you don't believe the stories we tell ourselves about you know where we came from. That's right. We don't believe Genesis one. That was postmodernism. But I feel like we are in. I don't know what we're going to call this era we're in. Maybe post postmodernism, or maybe there's a, a better. Uh, name for it but now we have incredulity toward exo narratives and an exo narrative is the story somebody outside your tribe is telling you Hmm. so it doesn't matter if it's religious or if it's about vaccination or if it's about racism if it's a story told within your tribe you're going to use that science right if you're going to use that science to prove that masks are useless and vaccinations are actually dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to, inside your your little exoskeleton, you're going to tell yourself these stories, but you're, you've got incredulity and reaction to those exonarratives uh, coming from the outside, which is why we're having this discussion. It's why it's important for churches or Christians to be talking to their kids uh, truthfully, uh, or to be teaching, uh, letting their kids discover this uh, wor- amazing world of science so that when somebody who is an atheist shows them the same amazing world of science, they don't see it as a time when they have to make a choice. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and if, if, you start, if you start with you have to make a choice, it's hard to get away from that. It's kind of, kind of what you're saying. And I, yeah, and I think that's where so many people are that they just believe, yeah, you, this is a conflict. Um, and, and, and once you start to have the questions and you can ask them safely, then you can start to talk about, well, why do some people think the, the world is this old and why do some people think it's this old or how have, uh, Christians historically approached Genesis or, Mm -hmm. but there's not fear there driving you to just stick to one answer because you're afraid of what it means if you choose another answer. 
That that's huge. I think you're afraid of what it means if you choose a different answer. Uh, I I've I've known people who have so much of their faith in God tied up in the six literal days of creation, six thousand year old Earth stuff. That I can tell that if they they are they're afraid that if they see that passage in a different way or in in some other way you know agree to the fact that the earth is billions of years old or whatever they're they're afraid that they might lose their faith because it's kind of like the one strand that's holding things together right yeah and that that's kind of what i'm talking about is the because i mean the the place that i got to was uh i didn't have that fear so i could I could read the passage and I one time stumbled upon, you know, that we could talk about, you know, a whole episode and hopefully we will about just Genesis one, but I stumbled upon the formless and void structure. Mm -hmm. What is form, you know, organization and, and habitat and what is void. That means empty and, and inhabitants. Mm -hmm. And so there's a problem statement. The, the, the world, was formless and void. And then what does God do for three days? He makes form. He makes a habitat. And then the next three days, he makes inhabitant inhabitants for those habitats he makes. And it lines up completely perfectly. Yeah. And, and then he rests. And uh, it was, you know, there are other interpretations of Genesis 1 and, and what those things mean. But the I finally got to get through to what does it mean for who I am and who God is instead of how do I look at this and, and make sure that I don't accidentally accept scientism. Right. And the, I I mean, I think we're also both saying the, I, I do think the first step is, is working towards, well, yeah, uh, that conflict, the perceived conflict, not only is, is it wrong headed because of it's just these two communities? But uh, I I read the I feel like I have a relatively conservative view of scripture, and and I I have got I love uh, science. I, I just recently read um, the Perfect Theory, which is a history of um, the theory of relativity. Man, you're a nerd. and I got. It's really good. <laughs> it's it's written not for science people. It's written for oh, okay, okay. for folks like me. But I that strengthened my faith in God. Hmm. Not because of God of the gaps, because of first of all, so, a lot of these people were religious, and one was a Belgian priest. And I I have a you know, I like priests, and I like Belgium, and I like science. So George Lemaitre, <laughs> who the priest who came up with this radical religious idea in his time that the scientific community rejected outright because of how religious it was. And it was called the big bang. Yeah. And, (laughs) and you know, uh, that was not very long ago. And, uh, and we live in a community now where um, I would start sweating if I said the big bang in my church, because I know that people that's going to trigger them. Um, and and they're going to think, hey, wait a minute, there's a scientist among us, but we are faith folk, you know? Yeah. But, um, 
Well, and, and the place that you got to when, when you said that, that that book about science strengthened your faith, that and that's where I want us all to get to, is that place where science and faith, the Bible, etc., are not, that they're seen as like bolstering each other up and lifting each other up. Because to me, science describes what God did, or at least it shows us how he did it, maybe. If, if, you, if you just assume that if science can describe it, then God didn't do it, then you, you have a problem. <laughs> right. But if you, if, you, if you see the world as part of his message to us, just as the scriptures are part of his message to us, they work together, and there's a there's a wonderful organization called BioLogos, who uh, uh, that I've I just love their stuff. It's um it's, it is started by Francis Collins, who's a geneticist, and actually he's the head of the National Institutes of Health for the USA. Mm-hmm. And he um he wrote a book, great book called uh, uh, the Language of God, talking about genetic genetics. And uh, they they have the saying that they they say over and over and over in their in their materials that God made gave God gave us His word and His world, and they do not disagree. Huh. And I, I love that because I mean it makes so much sense. Like like you even you even reference Romans one, talking about how the, the God's qualities or whatever can be seen by the by the things he made it's kind of along those lines but if we if we see science as uncovering the the beauty of the things that god made that's i, I that's where i want us to be um because this this fighting between science and, and faith it, it's it's not sustainable and it goes to some really it it ends up in some really dark places and what i wish people would do is i i wish faith leaders would quit trying to pretend like they know what, what science is going on and or scientists would stay out of the metaphysics of things <laughs> uh like scott mcknight I, I was reading this book i forget which which book it was but he talks about one of his students who wrote a paper and he said I remember a single youth group lesson that pushed me to the point of crisis. After watching a video about young earth creation, I remember raising my hand and asking a single simple question. What about the dinosaur bones? The answer I was given by my youth pastor? Oh, Satan buried those bones. He says, I walked away deeply shaken and concerned. Um, and so it's this, it's this kind of treating treating the things as separate when they should be they should be complementary they shouldn't be fighting with each other I think 
the like fundamentalism idea led to a lot of this where it's just a it was a entrenchment it it was a reaction of fear to where's our society going and the reaction is that you you stop and you reject it and we we became as christians we we started to make that act of rejection of the society into a virtue mhm uh it, an inherent virtue it doesn't matter what it is if we reject it uh if it's from the society, whatever that is, and we reject it, that's a virtuous thing. Sometimes that's that's going to be true when you when you have a a way that you're called to be morally living, or when you believe in a self-sacrificing truth, mm. or a you know non-consumeristic, non-selfish way of living. It's going to be a virtuous thing to reject some things in in the world, but we just turned it into a, again rejection of everything that is of the world. And that rejecting it is good, but I've been using this word logos, and this word logos is used over and over and over in the Bible to describe Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, like First John is the is the most famous one. In the beginning was the logos, the logic. That that's that's where we get the, it means word, but it means it means more than word. It means logic and order. It's basically the thing science is trying to discover. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was with God, he was with God in the beginning. Through Logos, all things were made. Without Logos, nothing has been made that has been made. And there, and in him is life. And we, and there's also this idea of, of God's spirit as a all-sustaining thing that keeps, uh, it's what I breathe in and out as my breath. In him we move and, and what is it? In him we live and move and have our being. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what God does is it's not just that he acts sometimes in a miracle. It's that he is the sustainer and creator of life and the universe continuously. Uh, and that, that logos as Christians, um, it's this amazing thing, um, and this order is a is a fundamental aspect of God. the The world was chaos, and our God is a God of order. And so the 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 idea that the universe is discoverable and that that logos can be found is such a religious idea, and was for so long, and it and it still is. That that logos is out there, and it's as people of the book, or people of the word, or people of the truth. We have we have nothing to fear. Yeah, and that's where most science, modern science, is started from. Like Kepler and Galileo and all these guys, they were hardcore believers in God, and they set out to find out more about God by studying the universe. Right. And I don't know how, I don't know how Christianity fell into this rut of thinking that science is dangerous in some way or science is bad. And I think it, what I think a lot of what comes down to this, this insistence upon one chapter of the Bible, defining all of it for us. It's like you said, Genesis chapter one. And that's I, you know, I don't want to can't, can't do it all tonight, obviously, but that's, that's something I want to get into uh, a lot more, in detail uh, in the future. 
as far as how how that works because going back to the God gave us his word in his, in his world I think that it's important that we we put those more on the same level than we ever had than than maybe we're comfortable with because if if you believe that God created this world however he did it he is he is the source of things somehow in some way shape or form seven days a billion years whatever so therefore if we if we use science to discover the truths that are out there about the the, the world and the universe then they must also agree with scripture and if we have something in scripture that doesn't seem to agree with the universe and the science then maybe we need to take a new look at the how we are uh, interpreting scripture and and kind of vice versa a little bit but what we what we've tended to do thanks to, to organizations like answers in genesis and ken ham is we have assumed something about genesis chapter one and and other passages in the bible and we have mapped that on to uh science in the world and we've said that's wrong science and like you said there's a bell curve there's always outliers they go find the outliers that support the the, uh, the idea that they already had and i think we've lost so many people and we've lost so much credibility as as christians and as thinking people i don't know how many people i've talked to who are who are non-christians or atheists and, and they just kind of laugh at the fact that christians believe, believe the fairy tales you know yeah it it turns into a posture that is unthinking because it's it's retreating it, it's a it's a gut thing but the sad thing is the uh, communities of Christians who are diving into the into the Bible every week are very thinking people and yeah and, and they're exercising these muscles that are strong and useful every week and talking about it and applying it to their lives and the the sad thing is that uh one thing about science is it is completely neutral it it you know, it, yep. there's nothing uh, virtuous about science, which means that science can easily be used for evil, right? It, it can be used unethically, or it can be used to save hundreds of thousands of lives. So what we need are people who are practicing that muscle of how do I apply these morals and ethics and this love into my life? We need more of those thinking people who have rejected science and who are, who have the fear of the, that scientism community. We need a lot more of those people in the scientific community because we do need those people to think about not, well, what, you know, how do we modify a gene, but when should we modify a gene and why? Yeah. When we realize the constraints of our religion and of science I think that we can use them both a lot better than we have been using either one of them. And I'm, I'm really, really hope that there will be more people of faith who would get more involved in science instead of being scared away by, you know, whatever it is, people telling them that they, they have to be separate. Uh, I hope that, that they can, people can start realizing how, how much they need to be together because God's given us all this information about him. Let's, let's find out about it. Mm -hmm. Could be kind of cool. Do you know the story about Moses's horns? Oh, uh, so have, have you ever I, seen, I might. Yes. Yeah. So 
Uh, I, I had the crazy fortune of living in Europe for a few years as a kid. And Europe is filled with amazing cathedrals with famous paintings in them, like all over, and also a bunch of museums. And as a, I loved the Bible paintings because so many uh, paintings throughout the Renaissance and before and after are, are scenes from the Bible. And it, yeah. it's fun to look at an image and try to figure out what story is that, what's going on, and imagine it. Well, not once, but many, many times there would be a, a painting and it would be Moses, because you can see in the plaque, and Moses has horns. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, if you are imagining, like, fake Halloween devil horns, you are imagining the right thing, you know? Yeah. Um. Even Michelangelo's statue of Moses in Rome, I saw, he's got horns. He's got horns. And it's it's not a joke. It's not social commentary. Moses has horns. How do you get to a place where uh, Michelangelo, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever, uh, paints Moses with horns? Well, it turns out in, in the Latin version of the Bible, when... Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and his face is radiant or whatever that word means. I don't know. They, yeah. it, it, It's very similar and they mistranslated it to cornata, uh, meaning horned. <laughs> when Moses came down from the mountain... He grew his, horns. <laughs> he grew horns. And so don't give Moses horns. Or if 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 you're you're running into a thing and it seems like, man... This is kind of like me giving Moses horns. This is a little irrational. It seems to fly in the face sense. of it's not making sense. Just save, you know, the history of classical art a couple hundred of years and just look at the verse to make sure you got it right. It, yeah. It's not it's, you know, oh, it's it means radiant. It doesn't mean he grew horns. Yeah. Oh, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> if you're reading the Bible, don't turn your don't turn your reasoning off. And if you're doing science, don't turn your heart off either. You know, right. I think I think both both apply. Well, I I mean, I could I could go on and on about this stuff. I I and I will in in future episodes. Uh, we've had quite a few people request some some discussion on Genesis one specifically, and and I've got a lot to say about that. Um, but I kind of wanted to do this episode first, just to kind of kind of lay the groundwork in general to help help us all to start thinking of things maybe a little differently than we have before and take a new look at how you perceive science and, and God and how, how they do or do not work together. And hopefully, hopefully you see that they do. Yeah. And yet the world doesn't, if, if you let go of this, you're, you're, you're letting go of a wall and the world just got bigger, a lot bigger. Not yep. and sometimes that's going to be scary at first, but uh, yeah, it's. I think it's where we're supposed to be, and I, I'm excited to dive into the those specifics. Yeah, later makes me think. I remember as a kid going through like the Museum of Natural History in Denver and seeing the like the bones or the like the the dis- the descriptions of the Precambrian period and all this stuff, and just trying to figure out how like trying to like spot all the instances of, of, of blasphemy, you know, all, all the areas that they're wrong. <laughs> These <And> suckers. <laughs> right. 
There's no and, way they would have survived the flood. <laughs> and now I I enjoy museums way more than I used to. Because I'm like, oh, that's how God did it. Okay. That's pretty fascinating, you know? Well, thanks for time, man. Thanks. And we'll we'll get into more of this deeper later. Sounds good. I can't wait. But it only takes a whisper. Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures, head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later. So next book club, what are we reading, Nathan? Uh, For our next book club we're going to read why we can't wait by martin luther dr king jr i'm extremely excited to read this this book uh contains his letter from a birmingham jail and uh we are going to be joined by a friend of a friend nicole magloire who has strongly recommended this book uh, because it's it's just timely and and can lead to discussion we really need to have. Uh, But she's also committed to reading this book every year. And she says that she wants to read this every year because one day she wants to open it and realize that it's no longer relevant. Wow. That's kind of, it's kind of heavy. Yeah. That hit me when she, when she said that because it's uh, what a 60 year old book. Yeah. Wow. And I I know from uh, reading Letter from a Birmingham Jail uh, this past year how relevant his words are. So I'm excited to dive in. Um, Absolutely. I haven't read much Martin Luther King Jr. at all. I know him from, I would say, from from pop culture, right? So really looking forward to diving into this book. If you also, by the way, if uh, people who read along, we would really love to answer your questions on the air. Uh, you can send us your comments. Send them by Monday, May seventeenth. Um, you can find you can hit the contact button on our website, followingthefire.com. You can email us. What's our email? Followingthefirepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, send us your comments, your questions. We plan to air the episode sometime in the neighborhood of June second. Yeah, and I've added a book club page to the website too, with links to all the books. Make it easy for people. There you go. Just head to the website. It's all there. Why We Can't Wait by Martin Luther King Jr. So thanks for listening, and uh, we, we hope to hear from you. See you later. See ya.